may have friends with other disabilities who might use a wheelchair or some other sort of like assistive equipment and they need to know if they're going to have power to like charge their batteries for the shares their equipment like they need to know what the floors are like all of this information that it would be great if that was just given automatically and folks could use that information um, rather than having to do the legwork themselves that's nahama rogazan a traveler who happens to be deaf but not deaf with a capital d as nahama will explain there's a difference welcome I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. Nahama Rogazin is a former Peace Corps volunteer and avid traveler who has traveled to far corners of the world as a deaf person. She has a cochlear implant and she reads lips. But despite those advantages, Nahama says that there are many challenges she faces as a deaf traveler. Many of those are the simple things we often take for granted. The deaf and hard of hearing community is diverse. Some think the term people with hearing loss is inclusive and efficient, but it isn't because individuals who are born deaf or hard of hearing do not think of themselves as having lost their hearing. So we asked Nama what term is inclusive and appropriate. I usually use the term deaf and there's a differentiation between deaf spelled with a lowercase d and an uppercase d. So uppercase d indicating the deaf community, which is not something that I am part of. So I am lowercase d deaf in that I have uh, used technology to access sound and language for my entire life. Um, I don't know sign language. Um, And the term hearing impaired is going out of use because it imply something negative with the word impaired. So folks like to say hard of hearing, but personally, I use the word deaf. With her ability to capture sound through technology, Nahama has been able to navigate many countries, most off the beaten path. I have been to more than 20 countries. None of them are in Europe, which is actually something I'm pretty proud of. Uh, Because when you travel in Europe, you're just like racking up the countries, but I've been to a lot of places that are more far-flung, off the map, take, you know, a little bit more effort to get to and to travel around in. Traveling to countries where different languages spoken presents its own set of challenges. We asked Nahama about the concerns and challenges she faces. Something that I have to think about is safety, especially in staying in hotels or really anywhere where I stay, where, you know, I take my cochlear implants off and I can't hear a single thing. So if there's a fire, if there's an emergency, even if just, you know, somebody is knocking on the door to clean it the next morning, I don't know. And I've had some uncomfortable situations where, you know, a hotel staff member has walked in and I'm still there. Um, And it's also just something that's hard to explain to folks because I think in an English-speaking country like the U.S., where folks are, for better or worse, more familiar with different types of disability, I can go to a hotel and I can say to them, hey, like, I'm deaf, like, please don't come in unless, you know, I open the door for you. And they can make a note of that. And there are rooms that have flashing alarms and things like that. 
But in other countries, that's not necessarily the case. And in the Philippines, when I was a Peace Corps volunteer, my host family just didn't really seem to understand what my cochlear implants Carter couldn't do when the implants were off, that I couldn't hear anything. So there was a lot of them thinking that I was ignoring them if they were knocking on the door and I wasn't responding, but I just literally didn't know that they were knocking. We asked Nahama if her safety concerns are heightened when she travels solo. As a woman, I am always scared to some degree anywhere I am in the world at night walking around alone. I've done a lot of solo travel and I really love solo travel for safety reasons, but I am also aware that there's going to be a level of fear and anxiety present with those types of adventures that are not going to be present if I have somebody else, especially a man with me. So, and not necessarily being able to hear somebody come up behind me or somebody trying to communicate with me or warn me of something, that's another layer on top of what it means to be a woman traveling. Mm-hmm. And another fear that I've had is that my implants look possibly like they could be some sort of like fancy Bluetooth headphones or something. And what if somebody comes up and grabs them off my head? It's not going to help them once they realize they have this device they can't use and don't even recognize. But these are very expensive and not easy to replace. And to be in a situation where I can't hear is terrifying. Um, So thankfully, it's never happened, but I will oftentimes wear my hair or a hat in a way where you can't quite see what's behind my ears, just as like a protective mechanism. How often have you waited at an airport gate just to find the gate has changed? There was no announcement or you didn't hear it and you nearly missed your flight? We've had that experience traveling to Iceland. Yeah. We asked Nahama if she has ever missed a flight because of an unannounced schedule change. That has happened. I have definitely missed flights before. I think it's the type of situation where something happens, I'm not going to let it happen again. Like, I'm going to learn from that first experience. And I remember missing a flight because I was sort of dozing off and I wasn't, I couldn't quite understand the announcements. And apparently my name had been called several times, but they mispronounced it. And I didn't realize that it was me they were calling for. I was really tired. I didn't realize that like everyone around me had just disappeared to board the flight. Um, So ever since I've made sure that I know I identify myself to the folks at the counter, I say, hey, like if the gate changes, if something happens with the flight, I might not understand the announcement. I'm sitting over here. Will you just come tell me? And that has been successful. Now, you've had to advocate for yourself as a deaf traveler. What does that mean or, or in, in terms of what that, what that requires of you? Good question. Um, I haven't always been as comfortable advocating for myself as I am now. Mm-hmm. And in, in my 30s, I still come up against situations where I'm not sure how to advocate for myself. A big one has been during COVID with people wearing masks. I rely on lip reading a lot, and it's really hard to advocate for myself during this unprecedented 
public health emergency to say, I can't hear you, I need you to repeat that again, take your mask off for a second, write it down, text it to me, whatever it is. So I think, you know, advocating for myself really just means leaning into the situation and figuring out what works. And I think having lived in so many different cultures, the way you advocate for yourself also needs to be culturally appropriate. Like the ways that I might stand up at home and make a fuss if my access needs aren't being met could have me shunned somewhere else. So I need to be really conscious of what is happening around me. And sometimes that means realizing that I'm not going to get the access that I need. Like I'm going to have to sit back and say it is not appropriate to disrupt whatever is going on. I don't particularly need this piece of information and that's okay. Nahama says that she has never learned sign language, so we wondered how she communicates with others in the deaf community who actively use sign. The thing is, there's so many different types of sign that even if I knew ASL, going to another country doesn't mean that I would be able to communicate with deaf people who use whatever their local sign language is. But I think deaf folks and folks with really any sort of communication challenge are really good at communicating in other ways. And I think my comfort with trying to um, use like nonverbal communication, body language, all of these things has actually helped me when it comes to being in countries where there are different languages being spoken. Um, I can just sort of, I don't know even how to explain this, but sometimes I am trying to figure out a situation in another country where we don't have a common language and I can just kind of feel into it and understand how to communicate and what the answer is and like what needs to happen with a fluency that I think hearing folks don't have because they haven't had to practice those mm-hmm. Being so well-traveled, you, I'm sure, have developed a a perspective on what's working in the travel industry, what isn't working. From your perspective, what are some of the things that, broadly speaking, are good in terms of how the travel industry is accommodating and meeting the needs of deaf people? And where is it really falling short? I think overall, the travel agency really, or the travel world, the travel world really depends on people speaking up for themselves and um, identifying what their needs and accommodations are. I don't see a lot of proactive outreach or a lot of proactive sharing of communication. Um, I have friends with other disabilities who might use a wheelchair or some other sort of like assistive equipment and they need to know if they're going to have power to like charge their batteries for the shares the equipment like they need to know what the floors are like all of this information that it would be great if that was just given automatically and folks could use that information um, rather than having to do the legwork for themselves. The cochlear implant technology that Nahama benefits from is not available in every country. So we wondered how she is received by people who are not familiar with cochlear implants. Yeah, it was really difficult, fascinating, 
intriguing and difficult when I lived in the Peace Corps because I did have interactions with folks who were deaf, who did not have access to the same equipment or speech therapy or opportunities that I've had. So there was um, one of my coworkers in the Philippines, her daughter was deaf and not that much older than me. And she was always just so curious, like, what if my daughter had had those? Can I look at them? Like, you do so well. Like, are you sure you're really deaf? Like, you're nothing like my daughter. And that was always really hard to reconcile because it's true. Her daughter didn't have access to what I have access to. And things are changing in the Philippines, especially. Um, There's a lot more access to this type of technology now, but it's definitely a different a different environment in terms of what's available or encouraged for people. Mm -hmm. Now, between the Peace Corps and all of the travel that you've done all over the world, I'm I'm sure you've been to a number of places that have uh, touched you, moved you in some sort of way emotionally or just in terms of pulling at your heartstrings. What are some of those transformative places or those places that really left a poignant impression on you from your time there? I loved Laos. It's one of those places that you don't just hear people say, oh, I'm going to Laos for vacation. Um, it's a hard place to travel to and in. It's one of those places where you take a bus and you are putting your life in God's hands and hoping that the bus gets you where you're going alive. People are just kind, genuinely interested. There are monks everywhere. They want to practice English with you. Everything's just beautiful and calm in this like very relaxing, spiritual way. So I would say Laos is definitely a top one. Jordan is a beautiful country that to return to and explore more. Again, the hospitality was incredible. Um, there's a Peace Corps network of just, it's very common to travel to other countries and link up with Peace Corps volunteers there. So I was able to stay with a volunteer in a town called Karak in Jordan and stay with her and her host family and just get a small glimpse of what life looked like in the desert. Um, that was a really special experience. As we ended our conversation, we asked Nahama who she would like to sit next to on her next long-haul flight. Well, considering we just inaugurated our first female Black Asian vice president yesterday, and I live in California, and Kamala Harris uh, used to work for the same city government system that I work for, I think she would be fascinating to sit next to on a long-haul flight if we ever get to travel again. This is the award-winning World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. World Footprints connects you to the world through powerful storytelling that uncovers the full narrative of our cultural and human experiences. Discover the world when you visit our website, worldfootprints.com, and make sure you sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content. Paul Tournier says if we listen to all the conversations of our world between nations as well as between individuals, they are, for the most part, dialogues of the deaf. I really appreciated Nehemiah saying that 
you know, when she's trying to express herself and she's a little bit uh, frustrated and maybe not being accommodated as she should as a deaf traveler, that she is also very sensitive to cultural appropriateness in her expressions of frustration. And I think that's so valuable and so very important. And I really appreciate her sharing that with us. And I think it's a lesson for all travelers to not take advantage of anything uh, particular to our own circumstances that may make us think that we're entitled or we should get special treatment, but to just recognize, too, that these are often tough situations, stressful situations, and sometimes the best thing that we can do is just step back from them. Well, and especially if there are language barriers And, you know, I think it's just another important reminder to not be so country-centric when we're traveling and to be respectful because there are language barriers. And certainly, as she pointed out, not every country, certainly, you know, lesser developed countries, you know, have the ability to accommodate people with various disabilities. Not yet. And we're hoping that changes soon. And I, I loved the fact uh, that she chose our new vice president, Kamala Harris, as her, uh, her, her I'll say, wish seatmate, you know, that she would love to sit next to her. And I, uh, I think that was a wonderful selection. I always um, love, you know, and, and get a kick out of the, the people that our guests choose and, and, and their reasons for it. Uh, and so I... As a lawyer and, and, you know, as D.C. residents, I love the fact that she chose our, our new vice president. In closing, we'd like to leave you with these words from Helen Keller. Every one of us is blind and deaf until our eyes are open to our fellow men and until our ears hear the voice of humanity. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we are so honored that you spent this time with us. Thank you for allowing us to connect you to the world through the stories we share on World Footprints. This World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints, LLC, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award winning podcast is available on worldfootprints.com and on audio platforms worldwide, including iHeartRadio, Public Radio Exchange, iTunes, and Stitcher. Connect with the world one story at a time with World Footprints. Visit worldfootprints.com to enjoy more podcasts and explore hundreds of articles from international travel writers. And be sure to subscribe to the newsletter. World Footprints is a trademark of World Footprints LLC, which retains all rights to the World Footprints portfolio including worldfootprints.com and this podcast.